Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Everybody, great to see you again. Really excited about this series. Um, as we continue to lean into this, we've, we've walked through what does it look like for Jesus to be the king of our lives. And we established in the very first message that the kingship of Christ is already established. He is not the king that's to come. No, he's not the king that once will be. He is the current reigning king of both heaven and earth right now. And God gave him all authority on, in heaven and on earth because of his obedience. And after his resurrection from the dead, he was given all authority on the earth and in heaven. And that's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing. And, but many times we forget that he's actually king. Many times in our life we think, well, one day, I will, one day I will make him king in my life. No, here's the deal. He's already king. Now, you, what you can do is receive his kingship and let that manifest in your life. But the reality is this. He is already king. He's already reigning. He's already the authority. He's already the king that sits at the right hand of the Father. He's already the one who has been exalted to the highest place. And he's already the king. And so we live in his kingdom. I hope we understand that. We live in his kingdom. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 28, which we, all, we attribute this reality to the Great Commission, and it is, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is so important we understand this. It's also so, so important we understand this when it comes to um, end time events, when it comes to what's happening in the world, which I wanted to let you know starting this Wednesday at 6.30, I'm going to be doing a four to five week, depending on the, the, the timing, for one hour, 6.30 to 7.30, um, a teaching on end time events. And I'm going to be talking about the victorious eschatology of Jesus. It, this is so important that we understand this. And we're going to allow the scriptures to define what we believe instead of a man or an opinion to define what the scriptures say. Amen? So we want, we want them to speak to us. So if, if, if you're, uh, which, which I know um, you are, uh, if you're wondering what's happening, what does this mean? Listen, please come this Wednesday and we'll begin that journey together and uh, explore the words of Jesus and what he said about, uh, about all these things. It's going to be a lot of fun. So um, we'll please do that. We will record it and it, so it'll be available um, later. Um, but it'd be really great for us to walk through this together for one hour. So, but this is so important. This is the, this is the, the basis of everything in our life that Christ is king. And so uh, the reason why I even titled this, this series Christ is King because it's not only, it's not only uh, something that is, it's a statement, it's also a declaration. If there's any doubt, we need to understand that Christ is King and that He is all authority. That means every bit of authority. So what does that look like to be manifest in our lives? And we looked at there were areas of our, of our, of our lives, biblical, we would call them biblical governments, one is a self. We have a, we are, we have a self-government. It's called we're self-governing. So we can, we can make decisions. There's a free will. And we walk through what does it look like to live under the kingship of Christ in ourselves? We also looked at the church. What does it look like for the church to live under the kingship of Christ? 
We've, we're looking at family, and the next one, um, I'm going to be looking at civil government. What does it look like for civil government to function and to operate under the kingship of Christ? And how, how do we interact with that and, and manifest that in our lives? But we are in the area of family. And there's nothing that, uh, as I said last week, that provokes, provokes more emotion or um, shame or regret or whatever than when you start talking about family. And that's why it was so important we, we understood that the basis of the covenant of family actually falls under the covenant of God's grace. Because you're not perfect. Family isn't perfect. People, just so you know, aren't perfect, Okay. So um, spouses aren't perfect, and you're not the perfect one in the marriage. I promise you. Everybody say amen. amen. Don't say it to your spouse. That was not smart. You should not have done that. No, here's the deal. We're not perfect, and so we need the grace of God in our lives. And, and though we have it, many of us live under shame and condemnation. But we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. Our families are being conformed into what it looks like for a family to be under the kingship of Christ. None of us have arrived yet. None of us are living this out perfectly. But we are being conformed. And we want to continue to look to God of what that means. Now, we do live in a world that um, tries to deeply influence what family is and what family isn't. But what does it look like? to bring glory to Christ in the family. That is a, that's a, um, an answer the world cannot answer. They, they cannot define, without Christ, you cannot define what a family is to be and isn't to be. Now, what will happen is you, you begin to shape family around personal opinion. You begin to shape family around what, uh, or, or roles in family of what offends or doesn't offend. Or you got to make sure nobody's offended ever, no matter what. That's the world we live in. Everybody gets a trophy. Okay, great. So, but that's not, that's not actually the way the scriptures speak to us. They actually lay out the flow of God's purpose for family. And so what we discovered last week is, or two weeks ago is that the, the family is a covenant. It's not a contract. So a contract is, hey, if I, if I do what I do and you do what you do and we agree that, that we're each going to do that, all right, we're good. If you violate the, the contract, then, then I'm out. That's not what a, a marriage is. A marriage is a covenant. It's, it's something spiritual. It's something deep. It's something powerful. And since God is the maker of all covenants, he also is the one who speaks into the lesser covenants than his, his grace and, and sacrifice with us, the new covenant. He speaks into the covenant of marriage. And he speaks in that covenant because he, he designed it to be powerful and wonderful and life-giving and fulfilling in every aspect of family. And the only way that you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't experience those things is if you were out from the kingship and the order in which the creator of marriage set in his scriptures. And so we're going to lean in and allow God's word to speak to us and we as we read last week, it's important we understand the establishment of marriage. When Jesus was speaking, he said this, Have you not read that he who created them, meaning, meaning Adam and Eve, from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So this is the joining 
of a, of a, of a man and a woman in marriage, God joins them together. They, yes, they say yes to one another. Yes, they say vows to one another. Yes, there's a twinkle in their eye towards one another. But when they come together in marriage and, and make vows to one another, that God does something in their midst. It's a mystery of marriage. And he joins them. So when you enter a covenant of marriage, you enter under God's purpose. You enter under God's, what he has joined and brought together. And a man and a woman go from being individuals to becoming one. Though, yes, they are, they are individuals. They have individual personalities and individual relationships with, with God and with one another. But what has happened is they have become a family. The family is born within a marriage. They don't, they don't bring their family into that, that marriage. They don't, it's not the two families joining one it, together. Now they have a big family. No, nope. they actually leave their family and become their own family. It's very important we understand this. Very important that when a, when a, a, a couple gets married, that they, they create something that didn't exist until they said, I do. And then it does. It does. That's what happens. They create a family. And so they go from becoming two last names to now for us and our family, we're the kings. That's who we are. That's our family. And so in order to experience this joys of family, I want us to lean in and understand how God designed family to be. The purpose of husbands, the purpose of wives, purpose of children. And so today I want to speak to begin looking at, the, at these roles. I'm going to speak to God's design for man and the family. So again, this isn't just for those who are married. This is, if you're not married, this is what you want to, as a man, you want to become that and ask God to do this in your life. As, a, as a, a, a woman who's not married, you want to find a man who has these attributes in their life. Because as you're going to find out soon, it really matters about the life of the husband in the home. Ephesians 5 this is uh, the classic passage about husbands and wives. Today we're going to be looking at the man, the, the husband's aspect of his leadership in the home. It's Ephesians 5, verse 22, then we're going to move to 25 through 33. This is what the word of the Lord or the word of God says. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. So I want to begin by looking at the, the order and structure of the home and look at the man. In today's society, the, the truth is this. Um, this passage of Scripture is probably um, very uncomfortable. Um, it's one of the most controversial ones. And, and unfortunately, it's also controversial in the church. 
I think one of the reasons why, as we look at the purpose of family, is to bring glory to Christ in the world, to create world changers, for us to be an example to the world. As if, if you don't do things in God's order, you won't get the results that God designed you to get. So your design determines your destiny. And if, how God designed you it determines your destiny and how, how you, you live your life. And so the world, I believe, one of the reasons why we see a, a tragedy in family in, in the world is because this aspect of the, of the church, the family aspect, hasn't really been presented in a way that is biblical and, and lays it all out. Most people are intimidated by what I just read. It's funny, every time I, I, uh, I, I do a wedding, I, I talk about the wife submitting to the husband. And, and it's, it's, sometimes I can literally feel the air get sucked out of the room when I say submit. <laughs> Just so you know, submission is not a curse word, okay? It's in the Bible, but here's the deal. I, do, I go on to explain what this means is, wife, allow yourself to be protected by the role, the biblical role of the husband. Because that's the role of the husband. To submit means to come under what God has created for your good and the good of the family. Now today, as we lean into this, I, I, these are going to be some challenging things I'm saying. I, as I was studying this over the last couple of weeks, I've been like, man, Lord, I got some work to do. I go, and and this, this is the heart of this, that we would allow this to, to transform us, to change us. But man, it starts with us. And so we're going we're gonna, to... We're going to lean into this first for us, and, and it is life-giving, and God's words are powerful, and they're going to transform us today. So for us as men today, and, and for us as, uh, even as, as women, this idea is countercultural. The bi most biblical ideas are countercultural. But we want, we want God's culture to be cultivated, and this is why it's called culture. So countercultural means your culture has to be cultivated. It's not something that just happens. It's something that is systematically cultivated till it becomes something. So we want God's word to cultivate his culture in us. And so we're going to lean in and we're going to trust the grace of God and open our hearts and allow him to move in our lives. All the men, you guys ready? Come on, give me a better grunt. You ready? Come on. Yes, it's good. All right. All right. This is God's design for man. Number one, that according to the scriptures, husbands are the head of the family. It's important to understand that God's design for man comes with instructions. So it comes with instructions in the word. And, and, it, and it's interesting that the Bible says the man, um, it doesn't say the man should be the head. It doesn't mean the man ought to be the head. It actually says in the covenant of marriage, man is the head of the home. It's, it was, it's a, when God joined the couple together, you, God, placed you as the head of the home. He says that the husband is the head of the home of the family that was formed, that's formed through the covenant of marriage. So if you don't want to be, too bad you are. If you think somebody else can do it, they can't. Because authority flows from God to responsibility. So where God gives you responsibility, he also gives you the authority to carry that out. 
So in a home that there's a husband and wife, the authority of leading the home in the life-giving, beautiful, powerful, protective manner which Christ has given us an example is the man is the only one that has the authority to actually do that. Because God has set him as the head of the house. So we, we want to give glory to Christ through our families. So this means we have to come into grips with this is what God says. And so in this passage, the, the, the Apostle Paul is telling us how marriages function, how God has designed them to function. And just so you're aware, God's word is never toxic. It is never oppressive. It is never hateful. It is never mean. It is never distasteful. It is always life-giving. It is always profitable for us. It is always healing to our bones and our, in, in our own hearts and our own minds. It washes us from all the, the influence we get throughout our everyday life. God's word comes from God's character. And God is loving. He is gracious. He's long-suffering. So you can't separate God's word from God's character. So we need to understand that the words of God actually, if we view them the way that he calls us to, they are, they are loving and they are powerful and they are actually for our good. And so let's embrace that together. But the, Paul is laying out the instructions of marriage and what's the function. In a godly biblical marriage, this role of headship, it, it, again, as I've already said, it can't, cannot be um, abdicated. It can't be given away. If the man, again, doesn't want to be the head, he is. If he thinks he doesn't have to be, it doesn't matter, he is. He is the source of headship in the home. But this is so important we understand this idea of covenant marriage. So when you become one, you are truly one. There is both spiritual and physical realities of that oneness. So what that means for the man is that wherever he goes... Whatever he does, he's doing as the head of his wife and the head of his family. He, you, you never separate family for what he does and where he goes. He is doing it representing his family as, as the head of the home in every aspect. What this means for men with families is the decision that you make that are known by others or unknown have an impact not only on you, but on your family. God, God designed man to be the head of the family. And so if the man makes decisions that are life-giving and according to the scriptures, guess who prospers? His wife and his children prosper. If a man makes decisions that are against God's principles and God's law, and then what happens is his, who, who, who suffers the consequences? It's just not him. No, his wife and his children do. The decisions we make as men matter not just on how it impacts us, but how it impacts our little girls and our little boys and our wife within the family. I mean, this comes with a lot of responsibility, but this is for us to understand by the grace of God, God wants to bring us, our families, into alignment so we can experience the power of why he created family. So a good way of looking at this is that a husband and a wife in, in, covenant, in covenant family, covenant marriage, is a good way of looking at it is this. A husband or wife always carry the family with them wherever they go. 
wherever you go. Carry their children, they carry their spouse. So wherever they go, whatever they do, guess what? You've got your family with you. For, for some who, who are in process and becoming the men that God's called them to be, if you just, if you just thought of that often, there'd probably be a, a lot of things that you chose not to do because your, your wife and your little girl are staring at you while you're there. Because everything we do impacts everybody that God's called us to serve and to be over. This is, this is really, this is so significant. It's one of the reasons I believe we see a lot of the fracturing in families today. So what this means is that a weekend trip to Vegas with just the boys isn't really just with the boys. Or a weekend trip to Vegas with the girls just really isn't with the girls. The decisions you make are decisions you're making for your family. The decisions you make both have a physical impact and a spiritual impact for your family. If a man chooses not to be present in the home, because God has established him as the head, what, what is in his life actually deeply impacts everybody that he's, he's called by God to serve and to love as Christ loved the church. If a man chooses to not be present in the home, his very absence in the home is what dominates the home. We see this, if you decide to get on a plane, you go somewhere and you think, I'm gonna stay here, what, what's going to dominate the home that your headship is and you have gone somewhere else and so your absence is what dominates and brings forth and manifests the negative things in that family. We see this actually all, all over the world, all over the, the, the world where the father is absent from the home, the children and the, and the, the life and the well-being of that family suffers deeply. Why? It's how God's designed it. Well, then why would God allow that to happen for that family to suffer? Because God has, we're living in a fallen world and God has, has allowed us to choose his way or our way. And also again, women, this is why it matters who you marry. The question is when you, when you think about who to marry, do you, the question is do you respect them? Is there, are there things about their life that you're like, I want my son to grow up just like him? And so many people get, they go into this decision of marriage with, but I feel. Listen, I had a, in Bible college, it was, it was called International Bible College where I went to school, called IBC. Also we called um, International Bridal College is what also it was called. But I remember David Cook, he said, he said, listen, you, people don't get married because you have a feeling. And he said, you know, I, people are like, but when I'm with them, I just can't breathe. And I, oh, they take my breath away and I can't think straight. And he said, listen, you get the same effect of a donkey kitchen the head, but it doesn't mean you should marry it. <laughs> I love that. Because there are more things going on than just feelings, right? So a man, his role is to, is to lead. And he leads by his decisions. He leads by his private life and his public life. If he chooses to be present in the home and be godly in the home and be faithful in the home, you're going to see a fruitfulness, fruitfulness of that family that, that 
That's, you're going to see it happen before your eyes. And so his, his, his presence and his biblical godly leadership to serve and to lead is what you see happening in the children's lives, in his marriage, and in the family as a whole. So the temptation in current times would be to define what a godly husband should be by a set of cultural assumptions that might lean towards a personality type. And, and, and it's, a, it's a usually a type that culture would, would approve of. But again, as believers and followers of Jesus, the only way to truly experience real life, real joy, real fulfillment, is not to look to culture or our own fleshly desires, but to look to the loving, precious Word of God and ask the Lord to apply that to our lives. So number, number two, one, the husbands are the head of the home. Number two, husbands should be in love with Jesus more than anything or anyone. This is so important of the connection of you men to your Savior and your King, Jesus. Jesus said this in, in Luke 14. It sounds super harsh, but Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using shocking language to make a point. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What Jesus was saying is they need to prioritize so Jesus wasn't saying you should have hatred in your heart. You'll walk around with malicious hatred towards, towards your wife after you, the scripture says, no, you need to love your wife if Christ loved the church. But the, and, and, and the scripture says we should honor our father and mother. So that's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying that we should love him with everything we have, meaning above pleasing and serving anyone else in your life, that he, Jesus, is number one. That in the other loves of your life, that we would never compromise our love for Jesus by the way we treat and interact with our wife or with our children. That everything about our life is to honor him and to bring glory to him as our king. So this is what Jesus is saying. And a man, a man who puts his wife as number one in his life has a wife that is not loved and taken care of at the level in which she could be if he was connected to Jesus, if Jesus was number one in his life. There's always the demand, you know, you're number one. Well, actually, no, Jesus is number one. In my, in my stupidity <laughs> as a young man, I, listen, I did stupid things in my marriage. I just, I, I was a knucklehead, usually by this thing right here. I don't know if anyone else struggles with the, the piece of meat that flaps between your teeth. So one time I, I was talking with Cheryl, and I said, Cheryl, just so you know, like, um, you're, you're, you're not my priority. Now, why would I say that? Because I'm stupid. But she, thankfully, she knew what I was talking about. Um, because I was, what I was saying is I want Jesus to be number one. Like if he's number one, then you are going to be loved and taken care of and, and protected the way that he's called me to do. And so uh, that, that's the heart behind what Jesus is saying. And, and so we need to understand that a man who puts his wife as number one has really severed off himself from the source of all love, which is Jesus. Every man in this room does not have the capacity in himself to love the way that Christ has called you to love. You don't. I promise you, you don't. But if you love Christ, 
And if you, if you lean in, and if you allow, if you love Christ and you, and you grow in that relationship that, that everything about your life you want to bring honor and glory to him, then that connection with Jesus will give us the strength to love our wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. Men, we're called to lay our life down for our wife. So important we understand Jesus is our model. Number three, husbands are to take responsibility. So a biblical godly husband is to take responsibility for his family. What this also means is husbands biblically take responsibility for the problems. So you may not be guilty with what happens in your family, with what a child may do, or even what your wife may do, but you're still responsible. You still have a responsibility to help lead, to help guide, to to help love, to help heal, to help support. You have a responsibility. So if, you know, if my son does something goofy and he ends up in, in jail, well, I'm not guilty for what he did, but I am responsible as his father to help him navigate what's in front of him. It's the same way with with our wives. We have a responsibility before God. And so biblical men take that responsibility for the family. Our example, so some people, I don't know, that sounds a little tough, Jason, but we're to love our our wife like Christ loved the church and our families in, in, in that way. But our example is what Jesus did on the cross. He took responsibility for things he did not do. He paid the price, he paid the speeding ticket, or whatever the penalty, whatever that is, for things he did not do. Now, we're obviously finite men, and we're not Jesus, but we are to imitate him and how we lead our families as we take responsibility. The scripture for men to love their wives as Christ loved the church doesn't mean you're to, you're to love your wives a whole bunch and you know, do nice things. That's, that, it's talking about take responsibility. The, re, the role that God's given you, us as men, are to take that responsibility and then ask God to help us and to love our wife as he loved the church. So this is, this is talking about loving your wife in a covenant manner, meaning you look to Christ's example on how he interacts with you. It means if, if you know, whatever, whatever happens, you don't cut your wife off. You don't, you don't turn away from her. There are times that she may not respond to you the right way or she's having a difficult time or going through whatever, but you're, how are you to respond to that? You're to respond to her the same way that Christ would respond to you if you were acting like that. That's a good word right there. That was really good. <laughs> that God calls us to respond. And there's, there are going to be times that Wives, how do you respond to your, to your knucklehead husband? The same way. The way that Christ would respond to you if you were doing what he did. Meaning we look at Christ's example on how he interacts with us. And then we, we do our best through his grace to imitate how we interact with our wife and our family. When a man enters into a marriage, he's entering into the covenant of taking responsibility 
for the well-being of his wife and the family. And the beautiful thing about God's design is, is with that responsibility from a man who, who has been placed in a covenant marriage as the head of the home, that God gives him by his, the grace of God the authority to walk it out. But he also, part of, as, as, as these aspects of a marriage, number three is that the husbands of a, a godly biblical husband is, is, number four, our husbands are to protect. Men, we are to give protection for those that God's put within our care. Isaiah 62, 6 says, I've set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, that they Never hold, their, uh, never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. There is, a, there is a, 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 an aspect of a watchman that stands as the husband over the home. Also Nehemiah, they're building the walls of Jerusalem. The enemies were coming against them. And the Bible says that they put watchmen on the wall. They put watchmen on the wall. This is the role of a man within a family. To watch out for those within your care. Also, this is about realizing that there are enemies out against your family. There are enemies after your family. Men, that's our responsibility. One, we better know that. Two, let's be a watchman and protect. God's call on your life as a man is to be a watchman and be protective over your family. Now listen. To love your wife like Christ loved the church doesn't mean you exercise, it means you have authority because you're the loudest. No, no, that's not, that's not a humble servanthood. No, we lead though. This isn't about rough and tough and, and being aggressive. And, no, no, we, uh -uh. we're talking about godly biblical men who walk under the submission of Christ. But we are, we are protectors. We are concerned with the well-being of the family. And the man stands guard and watch over his family. It's his role, it's his, it, it, it is his responsibility and he has the authority by God to do it. This is why, again, the scripture says that man is the head of the home. He's the one who stands. The man has a significant responsibility of watching over his family. And a watchman identifies, I want you to catch this, a watchman identifies dangers and enemies and then moves to the danger so that it will not touch the family. That's what, a, that's what a watchman does. That's what a biblically grounded, rooted, godly husband does. There are, and here's the other aspect of that watchman. There are seen enemies and unseen enemies. We live in a natural world and a spiritual world. There are things the man is protecting his family from that we don't know about, you may not know about. We as men are called by God to discern them. This doesn't mean we don't, we're not walking this out with our wives. Doesn't mean we're not, we're not processing, we're not praying together, but he holds this responsibility. He has the authority to be able to exercise protection over his home. So I am within my marriage, I am my wife's God ordained protector. It's me. And the nature of a man is this this aspect of, of per, you are a protector. There's something in our, that God has put in us that is a protector. For some, it's more than others. And if it's not there, then you ask God to cultivate that and grow that. But a man of God is called to be a protector. 
And all of, our, all of our personalities are different. But we are all called to step in between the threat of your people and the enemy and take it. That's our call. That's what God's called us to do. Even while I'm talking about it, the men are like, that's right, come on. Because there's something in us that God has, has put there. That's our job and that's our biblical role. And it's something we need to walk out in our lives and for our families. Listen, what that means is you protect your home from, from the enemies that are unseen. It means you know what streaming services are in your house. It means you know what your kids are looking at on their iPhone. It's, it, you, you know because you put a filter on your internet. It's because you know who's coming in and who's going out. You know who they're with and who they're not with. Why? Because you're a protector. Men, are you with me today? Listen, if you want your daughters to marry someone who will protect them emotionally, physically, spiritually, then you better show them what it looks like. That was a good word too. If, if you want your sons to grow up and be protectors, you better show them what it looks like. You better talk about it. Doesn't mean you're walking around banging your chest all day long, grunting, no, it just means you're serving them and you're protecting them. You're being godly. See, your protector is insightful. He studies the strategies of the enemy. My role also as a, as a my, my first call is a, as a husband, second call is a father, third call is a pastor. This is also part of my role as a pastor is to be a protector. And so a protector is insightful, studies the strategies of the enemy, knows his family, and, and has an understanding his family is living in hostile territory. And belief systems of the enemy are real and they, they are, they're trying to influence his, his family. So the protector sounds the alarm. The protector says, uh-uh, we're not having that. The protector says, hey, I, we need to chat about what I'm, what I'm sensing is kind of influencing you. And there's some things in your attitudes coming up. And hey, I, I kind of sense there's a bit of a darkness about you. What's, what's going on? Are you okay? Are you, a, a protector does that. It discerns. A protector, it's really hard to discern playing Xbox and Call of Duty while your children are, are, are doing something else and you don't even know. And so this is the man of God who protects his family. If a storm's coming and the wind's blowing, well, what I would do is stand behind something that actually has the ability to stop the wind from blowing and stop it from impacting me. And so if you step out from that, you, the family feels the, the brunt of it. But God has called the man to be the front. He's called the man to be the, 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 the house. He's called to stand. I want to stand behind a house and I want to get, and that protects me. That's what the man's called to do. The man of God is concerned with your well-being. He's the watchtower over his home, looking for what's coming into his family. Who's coming into his family? What he's allowing to influence and what he's not allowing to influence. And listen, God has called the man to be the head of the home. He is assigned and called by God to stand guard at the doorpost of his home. And if necessary, you pull a Gandalf and you get your staff and you say, you, thou shall not pass. Not happening. 
and you stand at guard. And that's, that's, that's just, that's the whole heart of what God is saying. The man of God is the first line of defense for his family. Listen, for you men, our family needs to see us protecting them. They need to know that they're worth protecting. Not just spiritually, but physically as well. If God puts you under my protection for my wife and my, my children, if someone's coming after them, someone's trying to intimidate them or harm them or trying to manipulate them or degrade them or mistreat them or violate them, listen, you mess with my people, you're, you're going to get me. That's, that's what a protector is. Like, who, wait, who do you think, you have lost your mind if you think you're going to do that to my family. If you think you're going to speak that way to my wife. If you think you're going to treat my daughter that way. You've lost your ever-loving mind. Because, listen, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father before I'm a pastor. And you think, well, Jason, that would be, what if those people don't know Jesus? Well, if they keep messing with it, they'll meet him really soon. That's also called hyperbole, just so you're aware. Right? So, but that's, that's the call for us men. Number five, husbands are to provide. The very nature of Christ is provision, to provide for his, for his people. He provides for the church. He provides, he says he provided apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the church. He provided the nature of us as the head of the home is to provide. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God is a provider. Man was created in the image of God. He's as Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And so deep in the heart of, of men is the identity as the head of the home to be a provider. How we are made as men has given us the ability to provide for those within our care, to make a way for others. When you hear the word provider, I know we always think about money, but being a provider is so much more than just money, so much more. It's the one whose who's, their nature is to bring provision to the home, to be generous with who you are with your time, to be able to prioritize as a provider because if, you know, if I'm working 70 hours a week and I don't ever hang out and throw the ball with my son or, or hang out with my wife, I, I'm, I'm not providing affection. I'm not providing attention. I, there's, you, have to, you, you have to walk this tension as men on provision for the family, but also that's not the only thing. Money is not the only thing we provide. And so you may even have to take a pay cut so that you can provide actually things at home that are necessary for you to provide as a man. But that's what God calls us to do. We provide wisdom through the grace of God, counsel, friendship, leadership. 
protection, safety, insight, perspective, love, comfort, strength, attention, reconciliation, assurance, truth, spiritual leadership. We provide. We provide the model for our children to follow. When we fail, and you will, I promise you, we provide the example of what it means to repent and to say to your wife, I'm so sorry. I responded to you in a way that was not honoring to you, and I didn't love you like Christ of the church. If you, if you come home and you kick the dog and slam the door and, and your child sees you, it's, we provide the example of what it means to humble yourself and say, I'm so sorry. My attitude was wrong. I'm still being conformed to the image of Christ, and that's not the example. That's what we do. It's hard, but by the grace of God, men, that's what we're called to do is hard things. So we provide substance for the family. As, as the head of home, we provide substance to the family because we're there. Because I'm, we're in it. The man of God, he adds to your life. He doesn't take away from your, from your life. The man of God is a, is a promoter. He doesn't, he doesn't use you to promote him. His life is about promoting you to what God has for you in your life. It doesn't matter who makes more money. What, it's, what matters is God, a godly leader as a man in the home is a provider. And a, and a provider isn't about people getting all the toys that they want. It's about being sensitive to the needs of the family and doing your best to meet those needs in the wisest way possible. Some of us are better at that than others, but we all are called to do it. We're all called to align that way. And this is the reality of God's word that speaks to us deeply and transforms us and goes deep in our hearts. And we say, Lord, I would like to be that kind of man. Just this week, I was like, Lord, I would like to be that kind of man. I'm still growing. I'm still being conformed to that image. I'm still asking God. And for you women, we'll be talking about next week. And okay, what, what, what's your role? Your powerful God-ordained role. We need to come into alignment with it. We need to not shy away from what God's called us to do and given us the authority to carry out in our home and in our family. And there are things that happen in our home that you know, people get hurt or injured. And uh, Okay, but even if you're a man and you, you can't work, you're still called by God to provide. He will give you the grace to provide what you can provide. You can still set an example for giving glory to Christ in the home and through your home and with your children. You can There's always opportunity to bring glory to Christ. And so no matter what your situation is, no matter what your past example was, no matter, no matter you know, how hurt you are, and no matter what, man, God has called us to come into alignment with his word and then say, all right, God, will you give me the grace to allow this to be worked in my life so that I can prosper and my wife can prosper and my children can prosper? God, I want to come into alignment with that. Also, if you're a grandfather, it's, you begin to apply this to your, to your grandchildren. You tell your grandson, hey, you know what? 
You're a man of God. You're going to provide for a family one day. You're going to protect them spiritually one day. That we're, we're affirming this in our church, that in our church, little boys should want to grow up to be, to be men that lead houses that take care of women, that watch over children. We should do that. Why? Because it's a part of who we are. And it's not the case in the world around us, which gives us this great opportunity to realign and restructure and say, all right, God, how do we do this and how do we walk this out? Most of the time when you talk about headship or leadership, there's, there people are fearful because we all know a, 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 a man who was the head of the house, but he was not godly. He didn't serve from the model of Christ. He wanted the authority and he wanted to be the head, but he didn't want to do it Christ's way. Why? And so that has impacted you negatively. And you need to know that was not God's will. That was not God's purpose. And that does not mean that God can't use you to be like him and lead other people in his protective government of family that he's called us to do and he's called us to walk out as men of God. I do want to take a moment as we close. I want to pray for the men in this, in this room. Whether you are single or married, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your age. If you're a man, I'm going to ask you if you could just stand for a moment. Can we give the men of this house a hand clap? I'm honored. I'm honored to be counted among you. And what I believe God wants is a fresh rediscovery of what it means to be a godly man. And so I want to pray for you. And I want us as men of this house just to allow God to do a work in our lives right now at this moment. So if we can, let's pray. Father, we as men, we recognize I'm not making decisions in my life that, that fully align with what your purpose for me is. And so, Lord, God, first, I just, I recognize and I, I repent. I change the way I think about what I was called to. I change the way I think about why I why I exist in the design of who I am. I want to come into alignment with you. So Lord, I ask you, God, to cleanse me, to wash my mind. And I ask you, God, that you would reveal to me your heart towards me. That God, you believe, you believe in these men. You've called these men. And they may have fail failures in the past, but you believe in them. And their failures do not determine their destiny. That God, we all today would just embrace your truth and your life. That God, you'd heal us, heal us, heal our hearts and our minds. God, I ask you that we would fresh and new from today walk in the authority that you've given us because of our responsibility 
The Lord, I ask you that you would restore to us everything the enemy has stolen from us. That God, we would be broken by your spirit and humbled that you do call us to lead. And that God, that you would allow us to be first and foremost committed and in loving relationship with you, Jesus. May we rekindle that connection. You as our source. And from that, God, we want to make a commitment today that we want to be protectors of our homes. We want to understand that everywhere we walk, we carry, we either carry with us while we walk either our current covenant family or the one that we may have one day. So we want to make decisions that allows me to enter into a covenant marriage with carrying as least baggage as possible. But God, may we recognize that as heads of home, we carry our wife and we carry our children. And God, give us that reality that we would feel the weight of our responsibility and at the same time feel the grace to meet us to walk it out. God, I ask you that we would be providers, that you'd give us the ability to provide wisdom. If we lack wisdom, we're going to ask that we would provide comfort, we would provide biblical truth, we would provide spiritual leadership, we provide care and tenderness, that God, that we would not live from a model that, it was, that was demonstrated by someone else, somewhere else. May we look to you, Jesus, and love our wives as Christ loved the church and prepare ourselves to be able to do what you've called us to do. So God, I wanna pray, pray your hand and your blessing over every one of these men today, that you'd heal them, you'd restore to them, you'd comfort them, and you'd put a fire in their belly to be what you called them to be. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Let's all stand. This is good stuff, huh? It's the Bible, so I guess that's, that's probably why. Uh, I do just wanna, I, I just wanna, I'm just so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for um, all that God's doing in our midst. And uh, I, I just wanna express, I, I love you. I love you deeply. And um, I'm honored to be your pastor. And I'm just thankful. Um, we can just lift your hands to the Lord if you feel comfortable and I just want to pray God's blessing over you Lord I pray that you would bless your family today that you would strengthen them encourage them walk with them guide them provide for them Lord that they would reap a blessing just because they're part of this church that they would see that manifested in their life. God, may we leave here today knowing that we're not, we're not going back to normal. We're stepping into our mission field, stepping into walking out your call on our life to be lights and salt in the midst of darkness and confusion. So Lord, anoint your people to go and be what you call them to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.
If you, if you want prayer today, our prayer team is, is going to be coming up here. Um, and I'll see you Wednesday night at 6.30. Bless you. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.